This week on Glistening Particles. One of the big things is in diving is you have to do it for yourself, not for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I really did want to do it. I just didn't think that I could. So there's as that negative um, uh, thought process in your mind. If you don't think you can, it's hard to make yourself find out if you really can or can't. So I, I did that. And uh, even when I was still um, fearful of getting in the water, once I was underwater, I was okay. This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you. And that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Hey, listeners, this is a special series for the Great Cycle Challenge, where I'm hoping to shine light on some of the riders participating in this amazing fundraiser for Children's Cancer Research Fund. Did you know over 15,700 American children are diagnosed with cancer every year, and sadly, 38 children die every week? These riders are in there giving their time and effort to help change that number and change that story. So if you get a chance, go out and donate, and please support this incredible fundraising effort. Thank you. Hey, listeners. In this episode, I'm talking with Pat Burshide. And you know how you get on a call with somebody and you think, oh, they're pretty interesting. And then you keep going, you're like, oh my gosh, they're incredibly interesting. And then on top of that, they happen to be a really crazy good storyteller. That's what we have here. In fact, I couldn't cut it off at 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I'm like, we're just going to keep going because this is so good. So sit back and listen to this great episode with Pat Burshide and the Great Cycle Challenge series. Thanks, everyone. Hi, Pat. Welcome to Glistening Particles. Uh, Good morning, Jane. Nice to be here. So thank you for joining me for the Great Cycle Challenge series. And you're coming to us from Kentucky. And uh, I'm guessing it's a little warmer there already. It is very warm. Uh, Actually, the last uh, few days have been some of the warmest on record for this time of year but um Mm. so we have a lot of a lot of crazy weather weather changes uh around here and the next couple of days it's going to cool down to the 80s and that's that's a little more normal for this time of year oh my gosh cool down to the 80s you know watching the (laughs) watching the facebook feed for this group has been eye-opening to me because when i saw that this was in june I was like, all right, that's like the best month of the year here, you know, to ride. And then I'm hearing, you know, I'm seeing people post that, oh, it's 100 degrees and they're out riding centuries or something. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm in a whole different league, but that's okay. 
I'm good with it. Yeah, it was, uh, I think Memorial Day, uh, we rode at seven o'clock in the morning because it was going to be 97 degrees with about 80% humidity uh, oh by the gosh. afternoon. So, uh, wow, that's not, that's so not fun on a bicycle. No, that is not. I don't even know how you do that, especially for any long distance. I mean, I can, yeah, that's amazing. So let's talk about how you got into this, you know, bicycling and this ride, and then we'll get some of your tips for how to manage through those heat strokes. Okay. Um, I actually started the ride. This is my second year. Uh, I've known about it for several years, but never really got in, thought about participating because I was still working and I just didn't know if I would have enough time uh, to really um, devote to getting the actual miles. And I retired last, last year. So I decided I was needed to do something to fill my time. And I decided (laughs) to do the ride. And I started with a goal of 250 miles and $250. Because again, you know, I have a lot of friends, a lot of Facebook friends, contacts, that sort of thing, but you never know, uh, who has the extra funds to uh, donate to yet another fundraiser? And so right. I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really um, uh, expecting to get a whole lot, but I, I figured if whatever I got, I could make up the difference to get my 250. And, <laughs> that was my uh, strategy too. <laughs> yeah, I'll make up the difference. Yeah. yeah, I'll make up the diff. Um, so I started out riding and I had a really good friend that I ride with a lot and she did, was not participating, but she said, I'm going to be your your impetus for getting out and riding. And she's definitely a very much a morning person. And neither mm-hmm. one of us really likes riding in the heat. So she managed to get me out every morning or most mornings. And we would ride anywhere from 15 to 25 miles. And then sometimes I would usually ride to meet her where we would start. So oftentimes I would have uh, another five or 10. And then, you know, if I was close to 40, I would, I would feel like, well, I should just do 40. So as it turned out within the first week and a half to two weeks, it looks like I was going to get well over, you know, that goal. So I increased it to, um, uh, 500 miles and my donations started coming in rather quickly. And, and so I increased that too, to the $500. So I would qualify for the Jersey. Also thinking that Mm -hmm. if I didn't get there, I would just make up the difference. And, Mm -hmm. As it turned out, I ended up riding for the first year 511 miles, and I was off my bike for a full week. Oh my gosh. That I mean, that's impressive on, on more levels than I think the listeners can understand. So when you say you retired, uh, how old were you when that happened? I was uh, 66. So, you're, so you did this ride at 66. Actually, I was 67. 67. I was 67. And you did 511 miles in a month in three weeks, in three weeks. Yes. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
I need to up but, my miles. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are road miles and road miles are, are easier to gain, I think, than trail miles. I don't go anywhere near a trail mile uh, or a trail bike or anything else. The most I would do uh, occasionally is a like a, um, a chat, mm-hmm. uh, like a rail, <clears throat> rails to trails. Uh, there's a rails to trails um ride up here about 20 miles from here and we do that occasionally so and that's okay. that's a little bit different but most of my my miles are all either on the road or they might involve my hybrid bike but um okay uh so anyway so i ended up with 511 miles and a little over 700 dollars. so i felt like this year again i was um i wanted to participate but I, and I don't know why I don't know that I think that I might not be able to ride that many miles, but uh, I am back working part time. And so that that, you know, cuts down a little bit, but it's at night. And so I'm hoping that I've I've uh, uh, made my goal of 400 miles and mm-hmm. uh, uh, $500 and I'm almost halfway to my mile uh, to my monetary goal and uh, start the miles on. Uh, on uh saturday Saturday. i know it's coming Um, up and so we've been doing like this past weekend i rode about 75 miles over friday saturday and i mean yeah saturday sunday and monday uh just to start getting into that uh routine of riding every morning after working till Mm -hmm. nine or ten o'clock at night but it does seem it does seem to work for me so I'm hoping I'll hoping we'll have decent weather and I'll be able to get rides in and I may even go over that mileage goal. We'll see. I mean, that is, that's so impressive. I mean, I think sometimes people, and, and maybe, so I'm in my fifties and I like, you know, I look at people around me and so many people I know are doing things like this. But when I look at my parents in their fifties, this kind of stuff wasn't happening, you know? No. You yeah. know what I mean? And so to look at you and see how, you know, you're retiring at 67 and you're out riding, you know, 75 miles over the weekend. That's exciting to me. That's like, that's the future that I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's, I, I, I literally, I started riding, um, let's see, let's see, I'm 68. So I started riding for my 63rd birthday. I bought myself a bicycle and it oh was, my a very, gosh. it was very inexpensive because, um, some friends and uh, and I were sitting around and we were both, we were all three, uh, a little out of shape, you know, well, a lot out of shape and, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, feeling like couch potatoes, slugs, mm-hmm. if you will, if you will. And so we went out and we bought some little inexpensive trail type bikes from Dick's and, um, um, we started riding and the more we rode, the more we liked to ride. So that was in April. And then, uh, in June, we all bought hybrid bikes, good bikes and, mm-hmm. uh, from our local bike shops. And we started riding more and more. And the next year I bought a road bike and I haven't looked back. I still keep my hybrids for those, um, rails to trails type things. But, uh, for the most part, all my miles are on my high, on, on my road bike. And, you know, I spent some money on it. it you know, it's mm-hmm. an, it, it is a fancy bike, uh, not the fanciest by any stretch, but it's a carbon bike and it's lightweight. So it doesn't bother me to lift it. And, uh, uh, it helps me, um, uh, get through the, get through those longer, 
longer stretches when I when I ride more miles. I have ridden, I think the second year, the year I got my road bike, I rode 300 century rides. And uh, wow. um, I won't ride anymore, I promise. But um, <laughs> but uh, I did, I, I really wanted to complete at least one and I ended up being, you know, in really fit bicycle shape um, that fall and, and had some friends that were doing so, uh, several right in a row. And so I did three in about three months and that's enough. I've, I can say I've done centuries and that's it. And I have, I have a, a friend that's a kid that's been, I've been riding with for a, lo- a long time and he's 18 and he rides like a century, you know, every other day if he could. Oh, wow. So you know, there's all that range. And, uh, um, but, uh, now, now I'm thinking, you know, 40, 50 miles at a time is, is, is enough for me. Uh, That's still commendable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I figure at my age, it's, it's, it's doing okay. It's way, it's like more than commendable. I mean, that's amazing. So how, how has that changed your life just since, since start picking up that first bike at Dick's? Well, it, it changed it completely because it made me, uh, it, I, f- I found a way to exercise and be outside and healthy with, that was fun mm-hmm. and, um, that I could do about nine months of the year, not mm-hmm. real consistently during November and say March, but, um, but for six months of the year, I can do it consistently and, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it's fun. And like you were talking earlier, it, it kind of just frees your mind because you're, mm-hmm. you're out there. And sometimes if I'm riding with other people, then I don't listen to music. But if I'm riding by myself, I do listen to music, but I only have one ear mm-hmm. earbud in that's, away from the road so I can hear traffic coming and, um, uh, it just, it just frees my mind and it feels good mm-hmm. and I love it. So do you ride, do you ride often alone? I mean, like what's your percentage of riding alone versus riding with people? Uh, <clears throat> probably, probably I ride with people more about 70, 70%, 70, 75% of the time. But if nobody's, but especially during the challenge, if nobody's around, I probably will ride about 50% of the, of these miles by myself because okay. I'm going to be compelled to get out in the morning. And, and, uh, the friend that rode with me almost every single mile last year, she's not, uh, not up to, riding every day like she did last year. And, mm-hmm. um, so I probably will be riding, uh, quite a few of those miles by myself, but then, you know, I'll ride with her and then we have a, a bike club here and we have organized group rides almost every day uh, in the afternoon. So I will join those when, whenever I can, if I'm not working or if it's mm-hmm. not too hot, but, but again, the heat, as you get older, you get affected by the heat a whole lot more. So if mm-hmm. those, if it's, you know, 
90 degrees and 80% humidity, I just, I can't go out and ride 20 miles and feel good. I just, um, Mm -hmm. I'm completely drained. So getting out in the morning really, really helps even because it will be that kind of heat and humidity in the mornings. But if I can get out and uh, then I have a, you know, the rest of the day to recover. So yeah, it's, I mean, especially like you're probably more conditioned to that amount of heat and humidity. I'm not, if I was there, it would be even harder for me to acclimate. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not conditioned to, to, and, Mm -hmm. and the reverse would be for me, if I was in Wisconsin and it's cold, I don't like to ride when it's cold. I don't like to ride all bundled up. I, I have, I have some of those fancy kits, like (laughs) you said, you know, and, uh, uh, but when when you're riding those kind of miles, when you're riding, you know, 15, 20 miles, you have to have padded shorts and, and the kits just make you um, more aerodynamic and they they keep you a little cooler. So, you know, they're they're not just for looks. They are, you know, very functional. I'll have to as try well. that. I did get myself a pair of those um, fancy pants with light with the uh, pads in them. And I found that I didn't like it. Part of it, I just didn't like the way it felt. But also, I got a new seat last year, and that seat has been like literally life changing. So all these years, I've been riding on kind of the standard seat that came on my bike with an extra gel pad on it. Mm-hmm. And once I got this seat, it's yeah. got the cutout in the middle, and I seriously, yes. it, it's more comfortable without the padded shorts. And I'm, I was, I was well, and and that's the thing. It should be about the your comfort. So. Uh, but if you but if you if you start riding twenty five to thirty miles, I promise you'll you'll okay. have those All right, I'll check that out. <laughs> um, so the other thing that I'm going to kind of pick your brain a little bit, simply um, quickly, I guess, because I want to get onto random facts, but more for my own learning because you are so inspiring. So um, I stay away from road biking a because I have kind of a hybrid and it, it's a little draggier on the road than it than other than a road bike would be. But I also have this fear of road biking because I get so much in my head, even if I'm not listening to music, I'm in my zone when I'm riding. So what are some safety tips that you could give for someone like me who wants to transition to that? Well, um, with your hybrid bike, you can always put a slick tire on it that will give you, um, uh, a more smooth ride on the road. And that would be a good way to transition before you just, and if you like that, then you might, you probably eventually want to invest in Mm -hmm. a road bike, but you can, my hybrid has slick tires on it. I never have put knobby tires on it. Um, and although I'm thinking about doing that so that it would be more versatile for what, for, for that type Mm -hmm. of bike now, since I have the road bike, um, safety wise, I wear, um, I have a mirror that attaches to my glasses and you can get, you can get those, you can get them that will, uh, attach to your helmet. You can get them that will, uh, go, uh, onto your handlebars so that you, you can see what's coming Mm -hmm. from behind, but the, and the, of course I always have a light on the front. I always have a light on the back. So it helps cars see Mm -hmm. you always wear high visibility, uh, clothing. Again, the fancy kits are very, um, much a safety Mm -hmm. thing too. I always wear bright colors. Um, and, uh, but the, the very best 
safety thing that I've ever invested in. And it's a, and it's an investment, but, uh, Garmin, and there's a couple of others that make these now, uh, have, uh, a radar that, uh, that you can mount on the back of your bike that acts as a flashing red light as well, but it, it's literally radar and it's in, and, uh, it's connects to your, uh, Garmin computer that's tracking your rides. Um, and it picks up cars as they're coming behind you Mm. and it, and it beeps, it gives you an audible sound so that you look down at the, at the, at the Garmin and it makes a, has a little, uh, a red line with dots on it. So it shows the progression of the car, how close it's getting to you. And if there's more than one, it has a cup, you know, adds, adds a dot for each vehicle. Mm. Uh, and then you can look to see in your mirror too. So you really have a double, uh, way of checking for, um, what's coming behind okay. you and, and it makes you more alert. So you don't have to pay attention to those mirrors. All you don't have to be right, looking all right. the time because that audible sound will alert you that there is a vehicle coming behind you. And once you've used it a while, you get to know, um, how it's moving as you know, it, it will, you'll be able to determine how fast the car is coming up behind okay. you, you know, uh, because if it's coming fast, that dot's going to move real fast. And if it's, if it's slow, then it's going to move slower. So, so you know that the car is paying attention to you as well. If it's going slow, you know, that car is paying attention to you. If it's going fast, you, you know, you think, well, he, he probably sees me and, but it's just not slowing down. Mm -hmm. So, uh, road riding is, is a little difficult sometimes, but, um, um, my thinking is if, if I'm on a trail, a tree's not going to get out of my mm-hmm. way either. So well, and I'm doing mostly like either paved trails or rail trails. So they're pretty, they're pretty. Yeah. Paved. Okay. Um, I, I actually have, have a, a computer that mounts on my, on my handlebars. And I also have a okay. watch that, that all connects together and to my you, phone. You so. are really tech. You don't out. have to have, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a tech geek, although I don't know how half of it works. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have somebody else that that programs it some somewhat, okay. but uh, uh, over over the years, then you know, you just start as you as you do more and more, you start. Um, uh, everybody was getting Fitbits. Well, I already had the Garmin for my bike, mm-hmm. and so I got the Garmin watch, and it tracks every it it tracks my heart rate, tracks my sleep, you know, it does mm-hmm. everything the Fitbit does too. So I have that, um, uh, just, it tracks steps. So if I'm doing something besides riding, then it will also track that and keep, keep a history right. of, of my activities. So that was, you know, kind of the next thing that, uh, the other one, uh, took care of everything on my bike and this one will track the bike too. But if I'm just walking, right. I love that. Or if, or if I chose to run, which I, you know, would have to be, you know, being chased by a bear. (laughs) But, and I will say when I was younger, when I was in high school and college, I was a runner, Mm. but I am, I will say that I am no, I'm not, I'm no longer a runner. How about that? 
You no longer better, choose better to run. <laughs> How about that? Yes I, I, yes, I choose not to run at all. Tell, you know, mm-hmm. I've got bum knees and I've got two bum ankles. Uh-huh. And uh, so running is not in my char- in my cards these days, but the bicycle. Right, and look what you're doing with riding. And that's the thing I love about bicycles. I know we've been going on and on, so I need to get to the next thing, which is your three random facts. Well, let's see. Um my first problem, my first random fact is that in my late thirties through my forties and probably early fifties, I was, uh, I snow skied a lot. That was my big, um, uh, outdoor passion at that time. Of course, there's mm-hmm. no place around here to do that. Uh, so I would, I would, um, um, uh, go out West or, uh, some, sometimes skied in Europe, but I got, I'm I'm kind of kind of a competitive nature, so I got started on the amateur racing uh, uh, circuit where that each each mountain uh, a resort would have uh, would have uh, it's called NASTAR, and um, uh, they would have races usually every week, and and you could you could mm-hmm. just sign up and go race, and so I started. I started doing those and I, I, I took a, um, race camp. Uh, I did a race camp with Billy Kidd and you may not know who that is, but he was an Olympic medalist. And, um, I think I was about 46 or 47 through all of this. I actually qualified in, uh, first in my age group in the, in, uh, the, the state in Kentucky. And I qualified to go to the national amateur racing finals so you're amazing you're amazing <laughs> I, I just like you're so inspiring in your 40s you're qualifying <laughs> for amateur skiing that's amazing and you you're in Kentucky because that's where all yeah, the, that's and, where all the- <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in Kentucky so I got to go to Park City and uh, participate and I think I ended up fourth or fifth out of 25 or something like that. I didn't medal, but that's okay. It didn't matter. Uh, we got to meet a lot of, a lot of the Olympians, uh, uh, that were active at that time. Bodie Miller. I, I still, I still have my jacket with all the, uh, the mayor brothers, uh, Phil and Steve Mayer. And these go back a ways, you know, uh, your, a lot of your listeners may not be familiar with these guys, but, uh, uh, I still have my, um, my ski jacket where they all signed um, oh, that's my ski jacket so cool. for me. And uh, it was, and, and, and plus we got a week of skiing. So, right. That is um, such a cool story. That's a story in and of itself. Well, yeah. I mean, I just, like I said, I do, I, I told you they're pretty random. Um, and then uh, pro- the next thing that I that I accomplished uh, that's also fairly random is that I um, I've al- I've never been able to swim. I've always been afraid of water. Mm-hmm. I uh, almost drowned jumping into a swimming pool when I was a kid, and almost drowned my cousin in the process. You know, I was flailing around, and. So I, even though my mother made me take ski, uh, ski lessons, uh, <laughs> swim swim lessons. lessons every year 
when I was a child, I could never pass because I wouldn't put my head in the water. And uh, so it was, I had a, just a, a hate relationship with water. And um, my oldest brother was a, um, a scuba diver and he would always, you know, he was a really good photographer too. And, and he would always show us at holidays, his diving adventures and I grew up watching Sea Hunt and Jacques Cousteau and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. so I always wanted to be underwater but I never felt like I could be underwater because I wouldn't put my face in the water and it got to the point where I almost couldn't drive over a bridge I would have really really anxiety and I had recurring dreams that I would die by by driving off a bridge and and drown in my car. Oh, my um, gosh. I, yeah, it was really, it, you know, so I, my anxiety levels every time I went near water was getting worse and worse as I got older. Well, my brother, um, my oldest brother, as I said, was uh, decided that um, uh, he want his daughter, who is my goddaughter, wanted to uh, learn to dive, and she needed a dive buddy, so he said, you're it. And I said, uh, you do realize, A, I can't swim, and B, I won't put my face in the water. And he said, you'll you'll get over that. And I said, (laughs) oh, my God. So I did the book work. I went up to uh, Wisconsin, actually Racine, Wisconsin, uh, where he lived at the time. And my niece came from Cincinnati, and we took our lessons in the pool. and, And it took every instructor they had to get me through the class. But I did get through the class. I was still scared to death, but I did it. And then we went on a dive trip to Bimini to do our checkout dives. And I did that. And again, I passed everything, but I was uh, still pretty well terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like I was kind of an accident waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. So fast forward another six, eight months, and my brother calls and says, we're going on another dive trip. So pack your bags. And I said, well, okay. And I decided that I did not want to go on another dive trip being as, as unsure of myself because I knew I had done it and I had a card that said I did it, but I didn't feel like inside that I really did it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and I just went through the motions. I didn't really feel like i was, com- I wasn't comfortable at all. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I was, uh, I was just fearful, but, you know, plowing through it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a lot of fun. And, but I found out that there's a dive, um, a quarry near here, about 20 miles away and where they, uh, uh, it's a, where they teach diving. And so I found out about it. I went over there and I talked to the owner and told him what was going on. He said, well, you need to take a couple more classes. You need, you need time in the water to where you get comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. So I started, I took several more classes and I went on the trip and I felt a lot better, still, um, uh, fairly unsure, but more comfortable than I was. And when I got back from that trip, I I went back over there and I said, I'm going to take every class that they have. Mm -hmm. There's one motion that when you get in way, you get into the water, it's called the giants, the giant step. Personally, I called it the death step. 
because oh. every time I felt like I was jumping in, I was going to die. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, I took all these classes and it just, you know, it, one day magically I went down and with my dive buddy and we put our, our uh, fins on and, and just turned around and did our giant steps in. And it was the first time that I had done it without stopping to, you know, like gird myself and, and force myself to get, to do it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's it. I'm cured. I'm I'm now, I don't have that fear of actually getting in the water. And again, fast forward two more years and I became a dive instructor. Oh my gosh. No way. No way. And I got all the, all the, um, I've taught a lot of kids. I, I actually became, uh, uh, I, I taught more kids than, than you could shake a stick at. And I taught um, everybody that had any kind of serious fear. They all were assigned to me because I knew exactly how they felt. And knowing and, and imparting my story to them mm-hmm. and my results to them gave them more confidence. And I was able to, uh, they knew I would be patient they knew I would because they they knew that I had been where they were, and so I was able to um, share that uh, that experience with a lot of people that that wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Because if you you know, I probably would have given given up at several points if my brother wasn't pushing me to do this. And that's one of the big things is in diving is you have to do it for yourself, not for somebody else. Mm -hmm. But I really did want to do it. I just didn't think that I could. So there's that negative um, uh, thought process in your mind. If you don't think you can, it's hard to make yourself find out if you really can or can't. So I I did that. And uh, even when I was still um, fearful of getting in the water. Once I was underwater, I was okay. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, and once you, once you realize that you can actually breathe underwater Mm -hmm. and learn to control that breathing, then everything calms down. Everything slows down. You don't have any noise other than the bubbles mm-hmm. that that you're breathing, and uh, it's just it's it's probably the most well we say this in class a lot. It's the closest that the normal person will ever experience, like being in space. Oh, right. Because right. you're weightless, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean all the gear. Uh, is heavy is all get out mm-hmm. but once you're in the water you just float and uh it's you you can you move as slow or as fast as you want to mm-hmm. uh, but the whole idea is is to just move slowly through the water and see what you see along the way mm-hmm. or just not see anything just 
just be in the water. It's, it's very, it's very Zen-like and I'm not a Zen-like person. But, <laughs> I um, am. So I like, that's very appealing. My, uh, my whole goal is to go out kicking and screaming. If I go, <laughs> if I go out on my couch, it's because I've gone to sleep exhausted from riding or something. Like <laughs> I'm like on the edge of my seat now waiting for a third random fact. Cause I don't even know where you'll go now. Well, this, this <laughs> one, this one is pretty tame, but it's also something that's, that's, kind of dear to my heart a little bit. Um, when I, re- when I retired, I was looking for something to do that, um, that I could give back and do for others. And as a senior citizen, I really, and I used to work for a group of, uh, I worked for 20 years for a group of doctors and I worked for another 13 years for a safety company. And I, you know, dealing with people in, in medical situations or understanding the insurance workers comp or, or, uh, any kind of medical insurance. I just, I just, I know how, I know how difficult it is for people to understand. And Mm -hmm. as they are older, the less they understand. And if they haven't been exposed to it, like I've, I spent 20 years in the medical field and, and it's sometimes overwhelming for me when I was making my choices about uh, what kind of Medicare coverage I wanted. I still mm-hmm. had questions, and so I went to um, to our senior local senior citizen center, and I met with a woman that uh, was in charge of the uh, senior Medicare patrol. Um, um, organization that's it's a nationwide um, program to help seniors understand their Medicare insurance and help them through the process of enrolling or changing their their uh, coverage and so forth and I got to talking to her and she helped me out and she said she asked me if uh, if I had ever thought about volunteering and I said I hadn't but I was looking for something and she said and she just told me she said you already know so much that, mm-hmm. you know, we could really use you, uh, to help with, uh, ex, uh, explanations to seniors and, um, um, helping them during their open, there's an open enrollment and it's from October to December every year. And then for another program from January to March, and then there's, um, every, every month people are coming on. So there's, there's always some, you know, mm-hmm. a few people every month. And, uh, so anyway, I started volunteering with her. I've qualified as a senior Medicare patrol specialist and I've been doing health fairs and planning on doing, um, the open enrollment volunteer, um, time this fall. Uh, I know we didn't cover it, but we also, I also have had personal experience with uh, cancer in our family, not children's cancer, but I, um, I lost my dad 50 years ago next month to pancreatic cancer. Mm. And I have a niece and my older brother both have had different forms of cancer. And I've had a, my, probably my longest standing friend of 40 years. I helped her while when her daughter was uh, diagnosed with leukemia when she was three years old and she lived through Mm -hmm. research and, and um, medical improvements and uh, experimental drugs. And this was 25 years ago when she 
when she passed away. So for all those years, uh, you know, she was always in some kind of trial medication or whatever, and she managed to live for 21 years. And, uh, that wow. was, that was incredible at that day, in that day and age. And I, and mm-hmm. I've had other friends and coworkers that I've gone to a funeral of a coworker who lost her daughter, uh, you know, when she was seven or eight years old and it's just, it's heartbreaking. So mm-hmm. I feel like if, if I can do anything to help, uh, any cancer research helps all cancer research research. So for mm-hmm. my thinking, if I can raise anything by getting out on my bicycle, then that's what I want to do. So mm, that's a great, I mean, those are great reasons to do it. And I think that, you know, I just feel like we're so close to getting these answers and getting this this to turn around because we shouldn't be losing all these kids or all well, these people. Well, and 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 we and disease. we are we're making serious strides because and I'll tell you because there was a um, a local girl here um, uh, a year and a half or so ago that was um, diagnosed with a um, I think. It, I'm pretty sure it was lymphoblastoma and it was late stage. And when I saw mm-hmm. that and they started the fundraising for her, for her treatments and her travel and everything else, I thought this is, this is a death sentence for this child. And she was six years old right. and she's seven and a half now in remission has made, you know, a complete recovery from all the treatments. That's the, that's the sad thing is that even the treatments are, will sometimes kill you. You know, you may not die from the cancer, right. but you die from the, from the treatments. And mm-hmm. so having better treatments and better forms of treatment and, and new treatments so that she, it wasn't a death sentence for her. It worked, you know, whatever they had, it worked. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's more treatments than there ever has been. And there's more coming down the pike every single day. And so now it's not necessarily a death sentence. There's very few cancers out there if caught early that can't be survivable. Um, There's a few such as the pancreatic cancer. And that's, that's, Mm -hmm. and the biggest part of that with that one is because there's, it's almost never caught early. It's, there's never, right. there's never symptoms. You don't know what's going on. And, uh, like when, when they, when my dad was diagnosed, he went in for, he'd been having stomach problems for maybe six months and they finally went in and did a, uh, exploratory surgery and they just closed him up and they said it, it was too late. They, there was nothing that they could do except oh, make him comfortable. Wow. And six months later he was gone. Um, and sadly that's, you know, people that are diagnosed now may live a year or two, but they're still, it's still never going to be, it's not curable at this point. And, uh, so, you know, I feel like, you know, we're, this challenge isn't, isn't, uh, targeting a specific cancer that, that affects adults most of the time, but you never know what, what the research is, what research is doing that might, uh, 
help something else in the long run. So it's, you know, like I said, it's any research is good research and, and will help everyone in the long run. So. Well, Hey, I want to make sure people have the chance to donate to your page. So why don't you rattle off? So it's, um, okay. So greatcyclechallenge.com slash writers slash Patricia Bershai. Let's spell that out. So it's uh, P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-B-E-R-S-C-H-I-E-D. Yes, that's it. All right. So people go donate because my gosh, this is, you are the most inspiring person. This is such a great way to start the day here. I'm like super pumped. (laughs) Keep cool out there and um, good luck with a month of June and getting all the rides in. I I promise I will make that 400 miles. I'm sure you will. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, take care. All right. Bye. While I was talking with Pat, I was just so excited, if you could tell, about all the different things she's done in her life. I mean, competitive, amateur competitive snow skiing, um, scuba diving, teaching scuba diving, riding miles like crazy, has all the gadgets, and on and on and on. And at first, I was like so excited, and then I'm like, Oh my gosh, what have I been doing with my life? I haven't done any of those things. Like, what am I doing? So then when I got over that, I went, you know what? All I can do is look at her and go, yeah, there's someone who inspires me. There's someone who is showing what it's like like to just kind of keep chasing the things that you're excited about, which is exactly the kind of people that I have on Glistening Particles all the time. So in the end, after all that work around, I was pretty excited and inspired. I hope you were too. Thanks for listening. So are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Open the blinds.